and welcome to the Glow Journal podcast, a conversation with the beautiful minds behind the world's biggest beauty brands. I'm your host, beauty writer Gemma Watts, and in this episode, I'm joined by Erica Gerrards, founder of Fluff and one of the original co-founders of Frank Body. A few years ago, Erica made the decision to walk away from the $20 million business that she had helped to build. The reason? A wish for a cosmetics company that challenged every parameter previously set in place by the beauty industry. From there, Fluff was born. Fluff, which Erica describes as a casual cosmetics company in both product and approach, has become something of a movement. Fluff hold events, publish think pieces, and they push the industry to become more transparent. Fluff is more than products, hence the name. Erica wants her young audience to understand that while makeup is fun, it really just is that, fluff. The fact that Eri is a friend of mine allowed us to get very conversational in this episode and she actually got me to open up a bit, so much so that I may have a part two to this chat coming next week where the tables are turned. So this may be the most honest episode of the Glow Journal podcast that we've produced thus far. In this conversation, Erica explains why she chose to leave Frank, her disengagement with influencer marketing, and why businesses, not just beauty brands, need to be held accountable for their messaging. Okay, so I don't feel like we need to spend too much time talking about Frank but like we obviously need to because I feel like it's like it was sort of the catalyst for what you're doing now when Frank launched in 2013 you had already co-founded and were running two other businesses which is very ambitious for someone how you were early 20s I mean even like now that's wild to me was there always something about being your own boss that was appealing to you I don't think that I ever thought I was going to be my own boss, especially when I was at high school and then university. I imagined that I would probably work for somebody else. Mm -hmm. I wanted to be the editor of a magazine, but I guess I was still working within a company. Yeah. But I read something recently that my friend sent to me and it really articulated quite well, I think, this idea of starting something yourself Mm -hmm. or creating something of value and why people are driven to do that. It was all about how to be successful. Um, And it was written by Sam Altman, who's the president of Y Combinator, which is an American accelerator. And so he talked about um, this idea of why we're driven to do what we do and why some people start things and Mm -hmm. why people work for the people who start things. Yeah. And usually the bosses of businesses or companies are driven by this sort of internal compass where they Mm want to create change in the world that's bigger than just themselves. And that really resonated with me. And I think that between Frank and through Willow, like quite early on, I experienced some form of success and I made a fair bit of money. Some form of success. <laughs> Some form of success, Good yeah. God. And it, w- it was great and I, I made a lot of money and I spent it on stuff and it allowed yeah. for a certain lifestyle. Um, mm-hmm. But after a while, that wasn't that fun for me. 
I think that comes with age as well. I think if I were in the position that you were in at that age, I would have done exactly the same thing. I think that's just... Totally. You kind of, it's something that's shiny and new and exciting and the world is kind of in front of you and you want things um, and you want to reward yourself for the things that you've done. Mm. But now I guess I want to reward myself in a different way and I want to give back or create something that's going to impact the world outside of just impacting my personal world. Yeah. So that for me is I guess the success that I'm chasing or why I want to be my own boss so I can have control over what I'm doing and the effect that it has. I imagine, I mean, you mentioned having control, but I feel like being a director, co-founder of three businesses, one of which had five founders, it would be very difficult to stay in control. Totally. Control is this really interesting word, I I'm guess. mad for it. <laughs> yeah, I would say I'm a control freak in a yeah. lot of... Uh, instances but it's hard even when you are the boss of your own company there Mm. are things outside of your control and I think it's more about how you react or respond to certain instances which is it's really I guess how you control a situation yeah Um, but I think like we always sort of talk about this idea of finding balance too and that's what people try and control in their life uh, or in their work which can be, I think it's the most difficult thing and I, and I hate that word because usually um, people get attached to this idea of finding balance and having equal weight across everything that they do, yeah. whether that's responsibility or time. And then when that balance or control is kind of threatened, mm. they freak out. So instead for me it's been about trying to yeah, control how I respond to certain situations and being yeah. okay with the idea that nothing's really in my control except yeah, how I respond. Yeah, kind of out like, of our hands. There's going to be so many things that um, come at you in business and especially when you've got staff, like that's something that is yeah. very hard to control. Um, but it's an interesting idea and something that I think we can try and learn so much about. Mm. I mean, I, that's probably the beauty of having been through all that so young that you have been able to learn and then... I yeah. suppose, apply a lot of that here. Yes, and I'm still learning so much. That's the thing. It's like you kind of think, cool, I've, I've gotten past this step. I know my shit in some regard. And then you just get thrown another curveball and I get completely put back in my place <laughs> and I'm like, I know nothing. Were there any real lessons from Frank that you're still applying to Fluff? Yes, I remember I wrote down a few things when you were like, think about maybe what would be your takeaways because yeah. I'm like, fuck, we could talk for hours. <laughs> but um, if I could summarise it and often people will ask me for advice in starting a business, like what yeah. are my key learnings? If I only had half an hour with someone or only yeah. could tell them three things, what would it be? And the biggest things for me is understand the goals and the vision of your business partners before you go into business with them. Mm-hmm. I really think that you should celebrate the differences you have with people and that they're really crucial to success. Yeah. Uh, however, you need to understand and challenge core values and ideal differences. Mm-hmm. Um, another thing that I've learned is to hire like your life depends on it, <laughs> how crucial your team is, and if you make the wrong hire, to recognise that as soon mm-hmm. as possible and then take action regarding that because that can happen like finding people is a really tricky thing I don't think we give it enough time 
and respect. So that's what I would tell people to really focus on. Mm-hmm. Uh, in saying that, I would I learned that like you're nothing without your team and yeah. how important culture is. I think people forget about that and especially in startups when you're small it's one of the first things you neglect Mm because you're like we don't need culture it's just like the three of us like we're fine yeah but you need to set that that standard from day one uh something i learned from frank was don't get blinded by the light (laughs) (laughs) Um, all the shiny (laughs) things uh it's really not the important part of business or success and it's very hard to tell people that and in the moment it's very hard to kind of step outside of yourself and think about the bigger picture Mm -hmm. Uh, and I kind of summarize that I guess by saying that purpose is so much more important than profit for me yeah Uh, and then the other thing I learned is that communication is everything being honest with people is one of the easiest and hardest things to do all at once and it's something that I really tripped up on at Frank and often sometimes trip up with my business partner here at Fluff mm-hmm. or in friendships or in relationships but it makes life so much easier when you just tell people how you feel and what you think yeah. and what you're going through and talk through it mm. so they're my lessons they're very very good it's the start I mean, of my book <laughs> I can just end it here I'm like that's yeah, yeah, the takeaway <laughs> beautiful um given that the businesses that you had founded prior to Frank one was Willow that you've touched on, a creative agency, and the other was a cafe. Did you ever imagine you'd be working in beauty? No, no not at all. I'm not obsessed with beauty yeah. in any way. I obviously like makeup and I wear makeup, but it's not something that I would say defines my life. Yeah. I think the one thing I am really passionate about is people. And for me, I've had various jobs or businesses in which I'm always talking to people or offering something to people, whether that was the cafe, whether that was Willow and Blake, the writing agency, or mm. even writing a kid's book. Like, that was another way to talk to people. Yeah. And I'm always obsessed with how people interact with brands or products and why they buy what they buy, why they wear what they wear. That's really what my... I hate the word, but passion is. And this time round or for the last two years, uh, makeup has been the vehicle for which I can talk to people, Mm -hmm. which is kind of cool. Yeah, it really is. I think it's very cool. Thanks. (laughs) The podcast. Naturally, I'm already pretty across the Frank origin story because there is a whole episode of this podcast dedicated to it. But from your perspective specifically, why did you start the brand? Why did you launch with the product you launched with? Why did you give the brand the identity that you assigned it? How did it come about from your end? So, Regis and I are pretty much all on, and and Steve and Alex too, the same page about why we started and I think Mm -hmm. our original intentions for the brand. So... Steve, our co-founder at the time, he came up with the product idea because mm-hmm. he had women coming into his cafe yeah, asking for leftover coffee grinds. I know, it's it's pretty amazing. I actually, I think about it often, just how crazy it was that yeah. he was like, yeah, I, I think that I should take this to the girls and talk to them and, and be like, what could we do with this? It's a nice reminder that you can just be having like the most mundane day and then some... Yeah. The no, best business ideas idea. usually are staring at yeah. us in the eye. They're right in front of us. Uh, but for, for Jess, Bree and I, within Willow and Blake, I think we, and as women who uh, participate in the beauty industry, 
we were a bit tired and disengaged with how brands were talking to us. Mm-hmm. Uh, the language being used by brands was very stale or it was very scientific or it was full of jargon or it was too hippie. And so we, yeah. we knew that uh, there was no brand speaking to us directly and we mm-hmm. wanted a brand challenge to be able to uh, disrupt the beauty industry and remove the taboo of a woman's beauty routine, take it out of the bathroom and almost broadcast it to her friends and Mm -hmm. her following on social media and say I'm proud of what I do and in a cheeky kind of way and so the personality of Frank was I guess how we did that it was speaking to her cheeky side her confidence side uh, and it was personifying a product which no other brands were doing at the time so it was just quite different first and foremost Uh, and that was at a time where there were so few brands on social media anyway. So yeah. we, we not only like had the floor, but we had the microphone. It yeah. was like all Particularly eyes in Australia, you guys kind of championed that whole movement. Yeah. I mean, the big one, what led you to walk away from a $20 million company that you'd co-founded? Given that the whole reason that you started it was because you had grown kind of, you know, disengaged with beauty, what was it that led you to go, okay... I need to, I guess, start from scratch. I was 23-ish when we started Frank. and that's It's still baffling to me. Like, I'm obviously aware, but I still, every time I hear it, I... Yeah, and, you know, the guys were, you know, a couple of years older than me here and there, but we were all really young. We can all yeah. probably say that. And in those three years that I'm I was at Frank... I'm still saying that now. Yeah, right? <laughs> uh, at... Th- the three years that I was there, I learned so much. That business grew incredibly successful in a, a short amount of time, mm-hmm. um, more than a lot of businesses my experience in 5, 10, 15 years. Yeah. Um, I'm really proud of everything that we did, like I still am. I, I love that brand and I think we did something incredible for consumers and for the industry in general. Mm. But I probably was thinking about leaving, you know, for a a year, a year and a half before I actually did decide to talk to the girls. And it was just this sort of feeling, I guess, that that started quite small where I realised that maybe I was on a different page to the other guys in terms of what we wanted Mm -hmm. uh, for the brand and also for the business, like the vision and the goals. Yeah. So that was sort of a confronting conversation to have with myself first and foremost before I spoke to them. There was a catalyst, I guess, for me leaving and, and that was that we were seeking investment overseas or having mm. investment discussions. And as part of those discussions, we were asked to sign on as founders for five years. So It's a big commitment. Yeah, and I am grateful for that catalyst. I mean, I don't know without it if I would have left or how long it would have taken me to leave. Mm-hmm. But that made me start really thinking about it and I guess look at my future and I I saw myself in five years and it was quite a successful me probably living out my dream somewhere overseas with lots of fancy things around me and an incredible brand and social status yeah but it was a very sad me Uh and I had to confront that and I I had to make the call and and one day I woke up and I I literally didn't want to get out of bed and go to work and that was that's when you know yeah and you know and a lot of us have been there mm-hmm. when we've been working for someone else and I was like mm. fuck this is your own job that you have created that you don't want to go to there's something yeah. very wrong with that um, you need to be honest with yourselves and then honest with your business partners so 
I made that decision, which was, yeah, really hard for, for everyone and, and sad because I think Bree, Jess and I wanted to grow old together in business, but it's actually more likely and more normal that you, you don't with business partners and when you start something yeah. so young that you grow up and you, you go your own ways and you do your own thing. Mm-hmm. It's human nature. Yeah, and I, I was very confident that because there was five of us that those guys could run that company without me, which they have been and are doing. When you made that decision to leave, did you already have the idea for Fluff or did you sort of come to the conclusion that you needed to leave, give yourself a breather and then, you know, Fluff popped into your head? I had been thinking about this idea of unnamed like business at the time for maybe a year just because I'd spent so much time in the industry and was always looking at other brands, talking to other founders, talking to influencers, going to retail spaces and I was always looking at what was happening around and I had spent a lot of time in the US with Frank Body and that allowed me to see, I guess, an industry from a whole nother perspective. Mm -hmm. I think that in Australia we're very conservative compared to the US market. You know, over there they're all just trying to make a million things happen at once and they're they're doing things at ten times the pace that we are. So that made me keep thinking about what else could exist and where I sort of recognised that there was this space for a brand like Fluff. Mm -hmm. But it was just this thought in the back of my mind, like that could be cool. Maybe that's something I'll do um, with the girls or maybe Mm -hmm. there's space for us to try another brand in the future. And it wasn't until I left... Frank that I thought well do I want to stay in the beauty industry do I want to do something else I felt compelled to do it because there was still this need for it mm-hmm. um, I really wanted to create this brand for a younger audience and that challenged the beauty industry uh, and then I also just like quite honestly had to do it it took me a year after I decided to leave Frank to actually leave legally and financially mm-hmm. and I forget that there's like Processes. There is a huge process. <laughs> you just snap your fingers yeah. and it's done. And as I mentioned before, I was a 26-year-old having fun spending all my money. So yeah. I needed more money yes. to work. Mm-hmm. Um, I took about four months off once I kind of did finish that legal process and travelled, and um, which I think I kind of needed to do and wanted to as even just a reward for, for building something mm-hmm. like Frank. Um, and in hindsight, maybe I should have taken some more time to really think about what it was I was going to be doing next. Yeah. But here I am and I'm, <laughs> I'm happy and I can't change that. No, you absolutely cannot. Yeah. Um, was there anything when it came to things, you know, the nitty gritty of starting a business, was there anything that you did differently this time around? I what I raised money. Yeah. <laughs> so I have eleven investors in Fluff and I raised ah. have raised I think almost seven hundred thousand dollars. That's incredible. Uh yes. Uh it makes me cry every second day and laugh. Because <laughs> I'm just like, where where is where did that money go? And well, then you're not I really look a around business and owner if you're not <laughs> crying every second day. Exactly. Um, but I couldn't I couldn't create fluff in the way that I wanted to without investment. Yeah, and course. I actually really wanted 
people around me to hold me accountable to what I wanted to Mm. build. And that's been really amazing for me. I enjoyed the investment discussions we had when we were at Frank Body. And so I wanted to continue that. And I knew that it would help me build something like of substantial value if I had people literally uh, invested uh, financially, but also emotionally in the brand and what we were trying to do. So... Raising money was one thing. Uh, having a team of advisors has been obviously different and that was something I knew I wanted from day mm-hmm. one. I mean, I've learned so much at Frank, but I knew there was so much that I still didn't know. Yeah. And I'd met so many incredible people in the industry that I was like, I can have these people around me to lean on, mm-hmm. whether that's about uh, staff management and culture, whether that's uh, from the financial side because I am not financially minded, whether that's from a production side. Mm. Like, I can't, you can't I'm not be everything to all people. No way. And so I was like, I want the best people around me. Uh, and then I think what we did differently was we spent like a lot of time researching this brand and understanding our audience before we launched, almost a year um, to 18 months talking to our audience. Well, this is what I wanted to ask you about because you did physically – when you say talk, I feel like brands say, oh, we spoke to our customers, but they've just, you know, it's like a an email send out or they've just... Like, <laughs> we did a survey. Yeah, they've looked yeah. at <laughs> which Instagram posts are getting the most likes and they're like, oh, that's what yep. we'll do. But you physically talked to your target audience. Yeah. Talk me through that process. How did you find the audience for starters? So that was a huge thing for me. And while I knew that I can be quite intuitive with consumers and perhaps what they want from brands in the industry because I'd spent a bunch of time in the mm-hmm. beauty industry meeting these people. I I knew that I was still maybe 10, 15 years older than the audience that I was looking to speak to, which is this like Gen Z customer. So anyone between yeah. like 13 to 22, let's which say. Which in my head, that is me, but no. I, yeah, I know. <laughs> no, I'm like, not. I'm a cool 18-year-old, aren't I'm I? young. And as a copywriter, I was like, I know that I can do an okay job writing to them or marketing to them, but I, I could never do the same job that they would be. Yeah. And I had three have three cousins that are within this age group and I feel like I half raise them that they're my little sisters <laughs> more than my cousins. And I've been for so long fascinated watching them grow up mm-hmm. and turn into these like incredible women and I look at them and I think was I like that at 14 and 16 and 19? Like, wow. You know, and I can relate to them and what they're going through in figuring out who they are. Mm -hmm. Uh, But then there are ways that I can't relate to them in terms of the way they consume technology and the way that they interact with brands and how they communicate with each other on Mm -hmm. social. So it would be crazy for me not to include them in this brand development. And and that's the biggest thing uh, for me, or I think what separates Fluff from other beauty brands is we this brand has been made with these girls. Mm. It's not just us doing a little bit of research and involving them in a photo shoot. It's like we sit with them and talk to them every single day. They really inform and challenge us on what we're creating which is nice um we 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 really listen to them and and when a young girl tells me something is lame I'm not I'm not above that to be like that's cool you don't know I'm like fuck we're doing something lame and we really need to pivot and we can challenge them because there's stuff that we don't that we know and that we've experienced that they don't and it's that's a Mm -hmm. balance um but it's been amazing getting to know all these girls and guys and and sitting with them and understanding what they want 
uh, from brands and from the beauty industry mm-hmm. because it is often different to what I think they want or what I as a 30-year-old want. Yeah. I think I was going to ask about how you feel that indie brands can compete with, you know, the big multinationals, but you've sort of – I feel like you've probably answered it there because a big, you know, multinational conglomerate can't physically sit face-to-face – with their customer they can at some level but then the way that that message is going to be brought back to the big bosses it's like Chinese whispers totally and there are pros and cons to being an indie brand just as there are to being a big heritage brand yeah Uh, we've all got our own battles Mm -hmm. on our hands essentially but I agree that it's very hard, I think, for those more established, bigger brands to sit with a younger consumer and be able to actually action the conversations that they have or genuinely be enthused yeah. with the conversations they have. It's super time-consuming as well. I mean, we have girls come in and it's not a 20-minute meeting. Like, we'll sit with them for a couple of hours and mm. making them understand that we really actually like care and, yeah. and want to listen uh is well i can't even say it's not an easy job because it's not a job like it has to be genuine yeah. right and it we have to give something back to them and i think that's where brands bigger brands maybe struggle is they're constantly taking from their audience but they're mm. not truly or really giving anything back other than products yeah say I can vouch for that as well. I feel like every time I've come in here, there's just been people like hanging out. Yeah. Which is a nice thing. Yeah, my business partner, Shah, thinks I do nothing but hang out with teenagers. And I'm like, this is work. Yes. <laughs> when you were when you were having those like initial conversations with your audience, did the brand have a name and identity? Did you know which direction you wanted to take it in at that point? Or yes. did that come from those conversations? Uh, yeah, I mean, it was a little bit of both, to mm-hmm. be honest. So, again, I, I started with what I thought or intuitively knew about this audience. Mm-hmm. And then my biggest thing was like, cool, I want these girls to challenge me on it. And I want to see where I'm right and then know where I'm wrong. Yeah. And we, the reason why the brand is called Fluff, I guess, is our sort of uh, – it's kind of our, like – vision I guess for the brand in which we really want to build this awareness in girls that while makeup's great and fun it's not necessary yeah it's fluff and we think that you can have that attitude towards makeup Uh, it it can be a part of your routine but it doesn't have to define who you are Mm -hmm. it's not the be all and end all which is where this whole kind of idea as well of like casual cosmetics came from we want this to be a casual relationship that girls have Mm -hmm. So fluff was essentially going to be defined by these girls. We, we really wanted this sort of idea or message that beauty is so much more than makeup. Yeah. So then that asked the question, well, then what is beauty? And then instead of yeah. us telling girls what beauty is, we're like, you tell us yeah. what it is. It's everything that you're currently doing, that you're saying, that you're thinking, that you're feeling. And then fluff is just going to provide a platform mm-hmm. for you to publish that content and those thoughts and so we we started off with this magazine that we published and that goes out with all of our products in which girls responded to the brief like what is beauty mm-hmm. in anything other than the obvious like tell us what it means to you and because this age group they're so also they're responsive to um individuality and people you know 
kind of forging their own path. They are in a, in a time where they have so much noise um, telling them to be a certain way, they are really wanting to and needing to feel like their own person. Mm-hmm. And so Fluff really wants to encourage them to explore who that own person is yeah. and to talk about it and share it. You've said that Fluff is – it gives them a platform on which to publish, but you do that quite literally not just with the magazine, but the website content is so different to any other branded – blog I feel like if I were to go on pretty much any other beauty website the blog content would be like get the look or Mm. celebrity inspired makeup tutorials look at what Lady Gaga was wearing on the red carpet but your I mean the fluff content is pretty much all consumer generated yeah I mean we have one product right now our bronzing powder so there's only so much blog articles I can write about it (laughs) ways to (laughs) apply it but it was never our intention to have the editorial side of our site be about makeup yeah and again it was like well what what else could beauty be I think as starting off as a writer I there are pieces of writing like whether it's fiction or whether it's profiles about people that really speak to me that I love and I feel like that's lacking from digital content right now writing for the sake of writing for sharing things as opposed to getting a click or a sale Mm -hmm. and that's kind of how Willow came to be in the exactly that's how Willow started I know and it's that really makes me smile when I think like I'm still doing that and that was what we were so proud of at Willow and the issues platform on our site is something that I'm so proud of and Katia Shelby and I have this little pact that our issues will always be magic and I said to Katia make sure I like hold me accountable to read every issue and tell you how it made me feel Mm -hmm. because I don't want to just put a blog piece out for the sake of it like to hit a number or to hit a word count like this kind of content like should and can exist Mm -hmm. um there's not enough happening in the industry because this is like a, a big question for me about whose responsibility it is whether it's um publishers or the consumers for the type of content that is out there um I talk about this a lot where publishers will argue that it's just what consumers want to read they're clicking on the links we've got to give them what they want Mm. but I think that today like a lot of consumers especially younger more impression ones don't know what they want they're clicking what's put in front of them I mean I do that I go on my Facebook feed and I get sucked into clickbait and I'm like what am I doing here but had I not had it not been put in front of me I wouldn't click on it I read an article about married at first sight today I don't watch (laughs) married at first sight it meant absolutely nothing to me but it was there yeah and that's the thing. It's we. It's publishers' responsibility to put more intelligent com- yeah. content in front of us, and I think that we can't demand more respect um, or to be treated like more intelligently if we are then like saying that it's okay for them to put that content yeah. in front of us. It just doesn't make sense. I'm rewinding a smidge because you've talked about how fluff kind of came about because this idea that makeup is just fluff, like it's not everything. That in mind, why colour cosmetics rather than skincare? Um, Because I had a (laughs) non-compete. There we go. (laughs) It's that simple, no. Um, Well, that is it. But I think I was also a little bit... I say bored of skincare. That's also just the best answer <laughs> I could have hoped for. Like I use 
two skincare products, a cleanser and then an oil. And that's all I use. And I was yeah, like, I can't sell something I don't really yeah. believe in. And the skincare industry, like there's so much. It's wild. Yeah. <laughs> and while there's so much co- colour cosmetics as well, I was just like, there's something interesting here. Yeah. And I I think I had this personal like issue with um, not the fact that makeup exists, but my, my issue or problem was the the ideal of beauty that um, brands were selling to young girls. Mm -hmm. It didn't feel right. And I was overwhelmed by this content of, say, the Instagram face or the way that girls were being told to change how they look through cosmetics. And I, I felt like there was room for a brand that said no to that. I mean, I'm definitely not the first person doing this at all. There's plenty of brands in the US and the UK and even in Australia that are championing this uh, less makeup look, um, which is great because it's started the conversation. Mm. But I feel like there's room for fluff to exist alongside them, yeah. but as a different brand with a different personality. Mm. I, I completely agree with that because I feel like the personality and the... I mean, we're talking about passions and messages and visions, but the message is loud from Fluff. It's not, I, f- I mean, this sounds awful, but I feel like a lot of brands have that message, but it doesn't feel as genuine as it does coming from Fluff. Yeah. Well, thank I you. I, I like to think if a brand is yeah, a company's personality, I'm like, how many brands are there? Yeah. There is so many makeup companies that have products, but what do they stand for? Yeah. And that's the one thing I really want to ask everyone to think about. Mm-hmm. It's like, other than it being a cool product, like shiny packaging, whatever, like, what does that brand care about? What are they saying to you about beauty? Mm-hmm. Do they want anything from you other than just your money? Yeah. Um, and if they do have, say, a personality, like, is it their own or are they just ticking boxes or are they just copying another brand's personality? Mm. Um, it's hard because there's yeah. so many brands. It's the same with people, yeah, right? As both a business owner and as a consumer, do you think that people are buying into a brand or just the product? Well, this is really interesting and I would totally ask the same thing for you. I think that... We are at a time where people are just consuming products right yeah. now. Everyone wants more is more. Yeah. Um, you look at your big retailers, whether that's someone like Urban Outfitters or Alter or let's say Priceline, any any of yeah. these ones where they are speaking to a mass audience and mm-hmm. they are price sensitive, like that's usually just products. Yeah. Uh, and there is definitely a wave of of brands that connect with consumers without a doubt. Um, But I think that their messages don't often change or they're not specifically with their audience. They're just what like a couple of marketing managers are deciding what is needed. Um, And I I really want people to purchase from brands more than products because you can't have that much differentiation with products in today's yeah, I mean, I would argue that. I, I agree with that. As someone whose livelihood is more or less reviewing products, yes, one can be better than the other, but it's still, you know, if you're within a category, you can only differ so much between two totally. things. Totally. And I've said that from the start. I don't think the world needs more makeup. There's 
plenty of it. Mm-hmm. I think we need better makeup. Yep. And more transparency around formulas and ingredients. But more than anything, we need better, more responsible brands. Yes. And so I would never – I can talk to you about why our bronzing powder formula is great and why I love it. Yeah. But I can also say there are some other great bronzers that I would tell you to go and buy. Mm-hmm. But if Fluff speaks to you as a brand and you want to make a statement about what you care about and what you value, then buy the things from the people who care yeah. and who have similar values. Well, let's talk about that anyway. Tell me about, I mean, you launched with, this sounds, I mean, it feels like cheating because I know the answer, but you launched with one product, technically two products because the bronzer and the kabuki brush. Not dissimilar to what you guys did with Frank, launching with one product. Why that decision again? I know the answer, but... (laughs) Um, well, that's kind of a funny one too. It was just that our other products weren't ready. Yep. So ideally, I would have loved to have launched with our mascara and our lip tint as well and to have our bronzing powder and our brush and have this base line of products. Yeah. Uh, our sort of product philosophy is a foundation without a foundation product. Yeah. Uh, we think that something for your eyes, something for your lips and something quite light for your face is all you really need. Especially if you're speaking to that younger audience. Definitely. If I could talk to my teenage self, I'd be like, you don't need foundation. You don't need makeup at all. Uh, So, but it just, it's taken so long. Our mascara will probably be ready in 2100. Like seriously, it is so hard to make a good mascara. Does that come, because you guys have a very... Like, you know, strict ingredient list. Yeah, our blacklist is pretty strict uh, and the the hardest thing for us was our decision to not have palm oil in any of our products. Yeah. Uh, Had we... A good uh, decision but a a challenging one. A good decision in the long run and I I know that like now that we have um, got that out of our like base formulas it's it's so great and mm-hmm. we don't have to spend as much time anymore but it's been an exhausting one it's been one that meant we didn't launch with our four products it means yeah. that we launched with our one product a year later than we could have uh, but I am proud of that and it's nice because especially with these younger consumers like they're aware of it mm-hmm. like they're talking about this and it's only going to be a conversation of like greater significance in five years time so I'm glad we have done that um our lip product is essentially done which is nice um we just have to start bringing it here yeah um but even though I would have loved to have launched with more products to have this kind of offering for for girls it's not to say that the value in launching with one and giving all of your attention to it Mm -hmm. um I, I think that Australia and the world can definitely do with a new bronzing powder yes. in, in terms of what people obsess over and, and like. We've had a few key players yeah. um, for a while and I'm super proud of our our formula first and foremost in not it's having beautiful. palm oil, not having talc and not having sparkles. Like it's super subtle. Yes. Um, I am so proud of our packaging. Oh, my God. It's incredible. There will obviously photos and stuff will go up (laughs) when the podcast goes up. But it's... Yeah. And that's interesting. Like, we were going to have a shitty plastic packaging to begin with and then by chance met this manufacturer when I was in Hong Kong who... uh, We saw these beautiful, like, Zamac compacts, which is obviously this weighted metal mix of alloys and I, I just yeah. had to have it I'd seen sort of similar things in the, the industry and it was I wanted makeup to be something that you were proud of to put on your table or, or at dinner or something that you would want to hold and look at I don't yeah. 
no, but we took a lot of inspiration from Art Deco makeup, um, like vanities and compacts and how mm. a woman's makeup pieces, like one, she only had a few. She yeah. had like a powder and a lipstick. It was quality that was her quantity. thing, but she would take it with her mm-hmm. and it was like jewellery. Yeah. And it was like of value. So that's what we wanted to do and we call our bronzing powder a pocket cloud and it's like you can feel it. Like we yeah. base the design off a grounding stone. It's essentially a mirror like you don't need. You can apply it anywhere. It's mm-hmm. so easy. You can't stuff it up. And so I, I feel like we could put all of our kind of weight or equity into this one product to launch with to be like this is fluff standard and then we can pull back and then have some stuff that is more... I guess, um, I don't want to say disposable, that's the wrong word, but is more um, something that you can have um, and not be worried if it breaks or that you yeah, can I get put in that. your bag that isn't as heavy, things like that. Yeah. So everyday use stuff. It's un- like I remember the first time I came in and you put the bronzer in my hand yeah. for the first time. You do that thing, this is so hard to describe <laughs> like yeah. over a microphone, but when you, it's like when you go to pick something up and you think it's going to weigh X amount and it doesn't you yeah. kind of put your whole body behind something it was the opposite I was ex- I sort of like <laughs> not buckled over but yeah there's well, like there's nice. nothing like, like I it I give it to everyone like it's a precious egg I'm like yeah. hold out your hand <laughs> that's how that's how but it's it nice feels. and people want to hold it and they just they love um the feel of it and the how it's so smooth and then the clicking when you open and close yeah. it like that's nice I wanted to create something iconic that people would remember yeah. so I think beauty should be as much about like the experience totally. as it is. And that's, yeah, that comes across. I know I, I like that I started this by saying, oh, we won't talk too much about Frank, but I'm <laughs> circling back to it again. It's okay. Something that really set Frank apart in the brand's infancy, which we have touched on, was the way that you guys use social media. You were the first real major players, particularly in Australia, but sort of globally mm. to use influencer marketing. Fluff is not doing that. Fluff is using, I mean, I hate to say real people because mm. everyone's a real person but yeah. it's it's your customers it's the people that you're friends with that you work with that are you know that have a, a connection to the brand in some way why the decision to go down that path rather than what a lot of brands are, what all brands are doing which is models instagrammers mm. more models more instagrammers there will unfortunately always be a a space for um and i say in quotation marks like social influences yeah uh, for some brands again it's a shame they can't (laughs) say quotation marks (laughs) um yeah it it works for some brands and it's probably gonna go on for a while for a fluff i knew that that was wasn't what i wanted Uh, Mm -hmm. frank body at the time influences were influential people and yeah. I still believe in influential people I just think we need yeah. to change our definition of what that is mm-hmm. but it was you know five six years ago when influ- like an influencer wasn't a job no These just people who were interested in these particular industries be it beauty or fashion or fitness health etc yeah who genuinely wanted to share with not even an intended big audience, but just share what they were consuming and why. Yeah. And I think that there were genuine referrals being put out there mm-hmm. um, and people looked to these individuals for advice and recommendations. Whereas 
five years on, like it's just things have moved so quickly. Yeah. And technology has advanced so quickly and we are sort of desensitized to these messages now. And you have the bigger brands with huge budgets who are able to pay these influencers a lot of money. Mm -hmm. And in many instances, that's fine. This is their business. They should be paid for the work that they do. Uh But one, it makes it hard for smaller brands who can't compete on budget to work with them. But two, it means that, and like rightly so, like why should you decline a great offer from a brand if, if you kind of like the of product few, uh, you know if you're like yeah the product's fine and you're offering me heaps of money like why not yeah it's a business and we don't know how long social is going to be around for and for these individuals it's an opportunity to build a career in a short yeah. amount of time so i can i, I like playing um the devil's advocate to myself <laughs> in terms of being like think about it from other people's point of view but i'm no I'm, good at that <laughs> yeah i'm but i'm and but like the, for the most part, I don't believe in them because I don't think we have genuine referrals anymore. Agreed. And I, I know that with our audience, like, they see through that shit. I mean, yes. from the research we did, girls don't even follow many brands. Well, I was going to ask. Like, got nothing to say. Yeah. Did um, that come from those those conversations you were having? And yeah. yes, they did. I mean, beauty is interesting because girls are still in some ways intrigued by the whole art of applying makeup and the transformations that can take place and the creativity in makeup artistry so these girls hold value there Um, but they know or these young girls know when something is an ad and they would rather be blatantly told this is an ad buy this product than for it to try and go under the radar agreed Um, so for me I I think obviously word of mouth is, is better than any kind of paid advertising and I think that we can create that genuine value with our audience first and foremost um, before we intend to work yeah or want to work with a big influencer I I can't work with an influencer who generally doesn't care about our brand it means that we're going to have so much slower growth than other brands in terms of just scale because we can't be put in front of all these millions of followers um, but it means that we're creating really genuine relationships with these girls. Yeah. And it means that hopefully we'll be around for a lot longer time and earn their trust as opposed mm. to just being kind of put in front of them for a quick minute and then the same influencer posts about another bronzer the next yes. day. Like that's confusing. This was exactly girls. what I was going to say because I feel like, yes, perhaps, you know, as far as numbers on social, you won't grow as quickly because you're not being put in front of you know 1.2 million people in one hit but that I I feel that now maybe five years ago but now that doesn't necessarily mean sales because people are following these girls for like inspo again in inverted commas but it's you know yeah and it doesn't always convert that's the other thing I I want to kind of caveat this in that there are some really amazing influential people oh absolutely and all credit is due to them and they've worked really hard for um where they're at but Mm. there is obviously the type of influencers that you and i both know and i'm sure a lot of people do that it it feels like they're taking advantage of an industry and of consumers and of young girls and not really thinking about um the impact that they're having on 
people, whether that's young or whether that's old, like I know girls my age that are kind of brainwashed and mm. a l- little bit deluded by the messages that mm-hmm. are being put in front of them. And Which they're is not a scary. It's thing. it's scary and it's and it's sad. And I think that again we should we should be doing better. Um, yeah. And there's I derive so much more value when we get these genuine referrals as opposed to knowing like I just paid that person to post about our product. I mean, yeah. I'm going to be honest with you. There's times where I've been like, fuck, we, re- I, we need more people to know about fluff. Do I try and work with these influencers? And I've spoken to some of them. But one, they've either been disinterested. Right. I, I don't know why. Two, they haven't wanted to have a conversation with me for even five minutes for mm. me to be like, do you actually care about this product? Or do you, can I tell you what we're doing as opposed yeah. to just bringing out another product? I can see maybe why they think we're just bringing out another product. But it's like, give me the time if I'm going to give you the money. Um, And then I will look at, I guess, the message that they're putting out there. And it's so in conflict with the message that we are trying to put out there in terms of our philosophy and approach to makeup. And I just can't do it in the end. Yeah. A few months ago, you asked me, you were like, Jem, as a consumer, who are the influencers? Like, who do you look to? For product referrals and I sent you back a list and every single one of them was like a journalist yeah. and you were like yeah that was the same list that I came up with so we're yeah. <laughs> back to square one I mean I just asked my friends yeah really um and I think that's what we learned from this younger audience too yeah they they want to know what their friends are using as opposed to an influencer like they want to yeah. make these decisions on their own do you think i mean given that the you know the young people that you spoke to have said that they're you know they don't buy off recommendations from influencers so to speak do you think that is the direction that the industry the beauty industry will move in or do you think there will be let's say five years from now will there still be you know these big the youtubers the girls with the million followers still getting these big brand deals i think they will always they'll be around for a lot longer Mm -hmm. Uh, these bigger brands will will be able to pay them for a lot longer so there will always be space for it i think there something's got to change and i really do think that there is this movement happening in which consumers are taking more kind of control of their purchase decisions and Mm -hmm. not being as influenced um but it's yeah it's gonna take some time and it's gonna hopefully be because of brands like fluff and some other indie brands who are speaking to people who really care about these issues in the beauty industry or who care about uh talking about more than their products which is why like if we work with any younger girls or talk to any girls we don't talk first and foremost about our product like we talk about our issues we just want them to be a part of fluff's world because hopefully yeah like fluff will offer more than makeup products it's like talking to them being like we're here listening where mm-hmm. other brands aren't uh and and then later on like the product just kind of comes into conversation yeah they want to they want to wear fluff because they love what we're about because of all of that i feel as someone that uses the product but also you know is a pops in and out it does feel like more of a movement than just a brand with a product so how like if you were describing fluff to someone you had just met how would you describe it what's the elevator pitch (laughs) 
So I say that Fluff is a casual cosmetics company. Yeah. Which people laugh at or just like furrow their brow. They're like, what <laughs> does that mean? And it's a category that we're trying to create. And yeah. it's twofold. One, it's our approach to our products, which is the casual or like natural and uncomplicated in terms of ingredients and formulations and also the less makeup or wearing less look. Yeah. Um, and then it's casual in our attitude and our approach to beauty in that people who wear fluff aren't defined by what they put on their face. They believe beauty yeah. is so much more than makeup. And, and so that's where it's casual. Just as you wear casual clothes and feel most comfortable in it and yes. like yourself, we want girls to feel most like themselves in fluff. Yeah. In our linen today. <laughs> I know. How would you describe beauty? Beauty? That's a, a big great one. question. I have had a really interesting relationship with makeup and beauty and I feel most comfortable now or most beautiful when I can sit across from someone without makeup and just be like, this is me, this is my face. Yeah. Um, that's from a completely like external kind of aesthetic point of view but mm – -hmm. I always say to someone, a beautiful girl can walk into a room and within five minutes of sitting down with her, she can be the most, quotation, like ugly person you've met. Yep. Whereas someone can walk into a room and maybe you wouldn't necessarily, they wouldn't stop you in their tracks, but within yep. five minutes of talking to them, you are in love with them and yeah. you're mesmerised and their beauty develops and grows and evolves and comes out. Mm -hmm. So beauty for me is like someone's, personality and their like thoughts and feelings and what they talk about uh it's 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 individual which is why you know we can't say this is a fluff girl is this or likes this or does that fluff girls are so many girls yeah um it's more just an attitude or this awareness I mean, I give similar advice to my girlfriends if they're like, oh, I'm feeling fat or I'm feeling this, that and the other. I'm like, it's so much more valuable and it's memorable to other people if you're a kind, interesting, intelligent person than if you just look a certain way. Like it's, it's totally. fluff. There it is yeah. again. <laughs> yeah. um, you've, you've said that the fluff girl is... I mean, it's not just any one person and I've been fortunate enough to experience that firsthand because you do have people coming into this space and the events that you've thrown in this space are not beauty product mm. pushy events. The one that I attended was the Hasis event. Can Let's just talk about this because it was <laughs> truly one of the best and most valuable events I've attended in like the whole time I've been doing this. In all sincerity, um, was bringing people together in that way, in a way that wasn't necessarily, you know, getting them talking about makeup. Was that always part of the game plan? Totally, and it comes back to beauty being more than makeup. I wanted, yep. always wanted to have a space. I think a um, physical location or an experience is just as important now as a digital experience, and the two have to merge. Uh, I wanted beauty to be a conversation which is why I wanted to have people coming into our space in terms of it being a studio showroom and then an event space or mm. where girls can just come out and create content with us um, but the events was like trying to show as many people that fluff was kind of there for them and welcoming yeah. and, and challenging them to ask questions and, and think about the industry and mm. form their own opinions about it so I wanted this space to be available for younger girls to 
hold their own events or to have a pop-up if they were creating things, whether it was clothing, whether it was jewellery. I wanted us to have talks because I was pretty, like, disengaged by the, like, beauty women's entrepreneur movement talks in Australia. I was like, I haven't been to a good one. I haven't spoken at a good one in in a a long time. Like, I think we can talk about better, more interesting things. And this kind of circles back to our issues. I was like, Mm. we need to talk about smarter, more like more interesting things we've all got so much to say so let's stop talking about um the surface level shit yeah. like, let's have important conversations and see where they go and what it means is that we're trying to change girls ideas of beauty aside from the obvious so they want to mm. be involved and it means that we we don't have just one particular type of girl or who looks a certain way coming to our events it's so mixed yeah. we have girls come in who are like i've ne- i don't like makeup or i've never worn makeup and i'm like mm. why are you here then and they're like i don't know i asked myself that same question on the train but yeah. i love your brand i love what you talk about and here i am and all of a sudden i'm putting bronzer on yeah and that's so interesting for me right and you know whereas i could say exactly like tell you like what's a glossier girl or I could tell you like this is what a two-faced girl is yes or an ours girl like it's a specific yeah type of girl you just need to say the brand name and I've instantly got got a picture in my head yeah you do whereas fluff like I'm amazed at the different girls that come in well that event how many people was that like 20 25 odd I mean there was that many different people in the room exactly and what is so nice as well is that i feel like we created this space that they felt comfortable with and they were like if everyone's here for fluff and what they stand for then i can talk to those people no one felt intimidated you and i have both been to all these events where influencers and these girls stand in their groups and don't talk to anyone Mm -hmm. and it's competitive and it's not friendly yeah when we have this fluff space, I see girls who I know would not usually maybe talk to each yeah. other, talking and sharing things and like mm-hmm. supporting each other. Sounds so cliche, but it's like, it's why we're doing what we're doing. Yeah. Um, and that's the movement that I see happening. And in this younger generation where they're really supporting people being different and being individuals and they're like, let's talk about things other than what's on the surface or what you look like. Like let's connect yeah. as humans. I think as well, I keep bringing it back to that event because it was so good. And I think part of that was just that none of us had our phones on us. We all, they were all in the locker. And then it didn't become, I mean, with events now, it's, you know, you're posting a story and, oh, here's a, a wall yeah. of flowers and let's take a selfie with my new friends that I've, you know, mm. just met. I want met. people to come to our showroom and want to stay like not want to leave oh i and i didn't it was time <laughs> to go and i was like look there's an unopened bottle of rose <laughs> exactly you know i go have been to a lot of these events for other brands or in the industry mm. and it's as soon as people can leave they leave yep they're there they get their photo they post that they're having the best time but that is very different to the time that i see them having yeah and Again, brands are kind of ticking boxes. Well, we need to do this. We need to do that. We need to have this photo booth, blah, blah, blah. It's like you actually don't need any of that. Like we no. had girls sitting down on the floor, no chairs, yeah. and just chatting. And it was great. And we probably really could was. have spoken till about 2, 3 a.m., but yeah. I was tired. Yes. <laughs> yeah. And from memory, it was humid. So I think that yeah, it was yeah, hot. It just it takes it out of us. Um, I mean, that's the other thing. 
people just leaving as soon as they've got the photo. We were talking about this before we started recording. People go to Fashion Week now to have their outfit photo taken out the front and then they leave. Mm. Best night at Fashion Week? Well, you weren't there. Yeah. That was... I I, kind of bring that back to why we're called fluff. Like, for me, it's like all of this is fluff. The industry is fluff. Advertising fluffs. Marketing is fluff. Makeup is fluff. We all need to stop pretending like it's not and just call it for what it is because it is okay to be a part of this world. Like, again, fashion's great. Beauty's great. But, like, let's... I think we need to be less serious about the things everyone's taking so seriously. Yes. And then more serious about the things that people don't care about. Yeah. Um, that's where this, the conversation needs to change. And yeah. where I think there is a movement and it has to come from these younger people, essentially. Yeah. I mean, pretty much everything we've discussed in the last hour has answered this, but you've been in the bindus- the, the, the industry, <laughs> the, the beauty yeah. industry. It's See? felt like that. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Been in the tip. Been in the yeah, in the trash for. Coming out, bindus the bin beauty industry, bindustry. Bindustry, it's done. <laughs> there we go. It's, it's my new Instagram handle. <laughs> it's actually the name of the podcast as of right now. I like it. Um, you've you've been doing this for lack of a better word for upwards of five years now. What are the biggest changes that you've seen in the industry in that time? I mean, five years, it's, yeah, it's felt like a while, but it's really not even. The most change I've seen is obviously being with technology and social media. uh, From how many brands are online to how many consumers are online to what consumers expect from brands Mm -hmm. to the conversations consumers have with those brands, how they demand so much, how they can say so much, um, how they hold brands accountable how they can destroy a brand yes which is really really fucking scary um there's like pros and cons to it obviously i mean the whole paid spend side of social media and those changes has been super interesting to watch um this specific look right now um in the beauty industry and the rise of I guess, injectables and makeup that um, really changes the way a girl or a woman looks is really interesting. Yeah. I have this love-hate relationship with social media. I mean, it's it's defined the beauty industry and in some ways it's been so incredible. We now have so many things that are celebrated where they were originally ostracised or segregated yep. so whether you talk about um let's just even say for like women of color and um the accessibility of products now which still has a long way to go but has opened up to them yeah. um them embracing their natural hair through yes. um hair products that allow them to not feel like they have to straighten or um chemically dial change their yeah. natural hair color for skin conditions like vitilago like what it's done yes. for people and their confidence like amazing incredible mm. right um for gender yes for sexual preferences like social media has been amazing in that instance yeah and you know that's when i'm flying the flag and i'm like it's so important we need channels like this yeah the conversation is allowed to happen but then you still have on the other side of that how bad it's made some people feel and how people especially in beauty you know we can accept some things about us but we can't accept others like literally what we look like without makeup on yeah and 
that's my biggest thing. Like, I don't want to tell people not to wear makeup. If that's not the conversation I'm trying to have. It's like, yeah. but you don't have to wear that much. Yes. Um, or you don't only, like, wear that much if you're also comfortable with how you look and that you cannot, like, be able yeah. to transition between the two. Mm-hmm. But the beauty industry right now and for so long, especially in the last five years, is telling girls to wear more yeah and telling them that they look better with more on Mm -hmm. and I don't think that's right no absolutely not I feel like there are two very different camps with beauty there is this um you know push towards a more natural look so to speak but then there still is you used the word transformation before which I thought was good because it isn't necessarily a negative thing and there is an art to that you know the cream contour and stuff and I mean, it comes from drag, the way that people can change the the shape of their face and that is an art, but where it becomes dangerous, for lack of a better word, and Ray Morris talked about this on the first episode of this podcast, is that young girls now are getting validated based on how different they can make themselves look, which is a scary thing. Yes. I think you make such an interesting point there because my concern is that girls aren't allowed, especially younger girls, are not allowed the time to grow into their face. Yeah. So I'm 30 and this is probably 30 soon and this is the most comfortable I felt with what I look like. Mm -hmm. And I've never suffered from that much anxiety or insecurity around my appearance. And I I feel I'm very fortunate to have good genes. Mm -hmm. Um, But... I, I, there's definitely been times where I've been like, oh, I'm not sure about this or I don't look like that supermodel yeah. or my face isn't as symmetrical as that girl's, yes. right? But I've grown into it and now I'm totally happy with how I look and without Good. makeup. Um, but I've never I've never really changed my appearance. I've worn yeah. more makeup than I do now, but never a lot. Yeah. But the thing is that girls so young are starting to contour their nose, their cheekbones, so... They yeah. actually, by 30, won't know what their cheekbones look like mm-hmm. or won't have been given the time to appreciate it. And yeah. that's my worry. Like, it's that's scary. I don't. I would never want that for a, a daughter. No. For, not even just for a friend, for a, a girl my age. Like, it's, it shouldn't be what we're telling them. They're getting injectables very young now as well. So young. It's, like, very common. You haven't grown into your face yet. From, that's the thing. And then you become... your face will literally become reliant on that like I understand I went through things like the eyelash extensions where you know it was so hard to then not have eyelash extensions because I just looked like I had little stubs in comparison it's one of the things that I've not (laughs) done for that reason oh but then I now I see them and I'm like but that doesn't look right yeah you know I mean I'm very self-aware in that I like if I have too much eye makeup on I look crazy like it, I don't look like myself and I don't want that, which I mean rich coming from me when my whole job is, you know, playing with makeup. But I, I still think there is that line of like exactly. It what are be you doing playful. it for? If you're not having fun with it, what is the point? Yes. It's, you know, I mean that's, that's the big changes over the last five years, but where do you think the industry will be in another five years? There's where I think it will be and where I hope it Give will be. Give me both. Give me both of them. I mean, I hope that uh, consumers take more control or have more influence than brands or influencers and yeah. that they um, 
dictate or steer the conversation yeah. as opposed to brands and influencers. Um, I think that there will be less brands because I know that consumers are seeing through all of that shit and they, they, they can't possibly be all of these brands no. that existing. Like something's got to give. People are going to recognise um, which brands have intent and meaning and, and which products are better as well. Yeah. So I think there'll be a few that will um, that will kind of lose, um, yeah. which is unfortunate. I feel sorry for them as business models because I'm like I want them to work and, and yeah. survive. But... Um, I think brands are being held more accountable now as well. There's that Instagram account, Estee Laundry, that's just calling... It's like the Diet Prada of beauty. Yeah. The more accountable brands are being held, I think the better it is for the industry. Yeah. I think that clean beauty, like we all kind of know about clean skincare, but clean beauty or clean cosmetics yeah. is really going to um, come to the surface and people are going to be more interested in the makeup products that they're wearing for yeah. sure and that's really exciting uh, and then I think that there's going to be this real kind of convergence of physical and digital I think that you need to have that experience um, offline yeah as well as yeah. an online presence Definitely. there is nothing like talking to your customers but I think that the retail experience is going to be super interesting and it will be it will combine digital, like it has to somehow speak to customers in the way that yeah. they've spoken to online. So I that's really interesting. I think that's where some brands will either kind of sink or swim. And that's, I mean, a recent Australian beauty downfalls can sort of be, you know, pinned down to just not listening to customers and not changing with with time. I think that's, you know probably the most important thing yeah and but you're obviously I mean, listening to your customer yeah but i mean there's a lot that's unknown and yeah i i said to one of my investors the other day i'm like i'm excited and also terrified and she's like well your fear can't stop you from planning oh it's an excellent motivator yeah she's I'm, like yeah. you can still want to know where you want to be in five ten years yeah and it doesn't mean that you can't pivot and change but you need to like remember why you're here and what you're doing. Yeah. And Are you a big goal setter? Because I feel just on that point, I feel like when people say to me, oh, what do you think you'll be doing in five, ten years? I don't like to have a, a goal because then you can become very, like that becomes your singular focus and then you close yourself off to yeah. things. But is that different for you being a business owner? Do you have to have yeah. something I think in cement? We have to have like a vision and we have to know where we want yeah. to be because it gives us something to work towards. But just like you said, it's not about being attached to it and it's being yeah. able to pivot and react because we are in this volatile industry that is underpinned by social media and consumers have the upper hand in a lot of ways. Yeah. Um, I've always worked in like five-year blocks like based on my age weirdly I don't even know why but yeah um always knew where I wanted to be at like 25 and 30 and I think about where I want to be in fluff at 35 and mm -hmm. I think that there is so much potential for us again to be more than makeup and that excites me yeah I think that we have a lot of potential in different markets whether that I'm still deciding whether the US or the European market is better for us mm -hmm. because I don't think I should necessarily be dictated with which market is most profitable for us. It's yeah. which market we can continue with our message yep. and it not be led astray because of profit incentives. Yeah. Um, so that's really important for me. 
Um, and I, I want to be in fluff for as long as I can provide value to it. And I'm hyper aware that I'm creating a brand for a younger generation and that, you know, I'm 10 years older than them and so maybe I can relate to them now or connect with them now. But if I'm 40 or 50 and I've got nothing to say, I'll happily let someone else take my place. Um, but if I can still provide value, like, cool, I'd love to be an old grandma here. Do you think the brand will grow with the current customer or do you think it will always be a brand for that age group? That's really interesting. I think that I say that our product could be for anyone, right? Agreed. I use the product. My mum uses the product. My mum does as well it. because she's like, how is there a bronzer without shimmer? Because yes. she doesn't, she doesn't yeah. want shimmer. And the packaging it's, is yeah, luxe. It's like it's not like calling out other brands, but it's not in the shape of like a chocolate block and it's not, it doesn't no. even break if you drop it and smash yeah. your bronzer. Like, Which, thank God, because every day of my life I will drop a beauty product. We've all dropped a Nars Laguna and oh. cried knowing what was going to happen when we Charlotte open it, Tilbury, right? Film Star Bronze and Glow, I love it with my whole yes. heart, but it is, I mean, I don't know a person that has managed to keep it yeah. without smashing. But it's interesting for me because I had a lot of people originally say, you know, your brand speaks this younger audience but your product is older it doesn't make sense and i would challenge them I and say i disagree why why can't a young person have something nice yeah. like a, a, a high quality product or like mm-hmm. beautiful packaging that's just crazy like why do you think a young person needs young packaging no it's just silly and i think as well which kind of speaks to the ethos of the company better to have one beautifully made beautifully packaged product that you will use you know, every day of your life, if you wish, than having, you know, a whole case of just unnecessary products that might have been, you know, in a bargain bin yeah. for the sake of having more makeup. Exactly. And I, I've been in that position for where you get like consumed by this more is more mentality yeah. and like new shiny fancy things. Absolutely. But there is this like enjoyment that you get from choosing things that you care about and that you know where it's from and having less like there's really it's yeah. hard to explain but you 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 care for them more you, mm-hmm. p- you place more value in it you appreciate them more yeah as opposed to just having a ton of stuff that you don't really know or use it's the conmari effect mm. does it spark joy <laughs> yes i know i'm not, too scared to do it i know yeah not there yet i know that you have more products on the horizon and I know we're not going to talk about you know a 10-year goal but in the foreseeable future what's next for Fluff? Uh, I would like to continue our sort of office studio vibe somewhere else Mm -hmm. um, whether that's Europe or the US because I think it's what are you leaning towards probably Europe yeah to be honest Um, I think it's so crucial to be able to have these conversations with your customers yeah. and be on the ground talking to them, not just assuming that a girl in New York or a girl in Amsterdam thinks the same way a girl in Australia does. Yeah. We need to understand those subtleties and those differences to be able to uh, change with them mm-hmm. and evolve with them and offer um, specific m- messaging, marketing products to them. So that's really exciting Um I mean, yeah, we will roll out more products that are in line with our philosophy and, and trying to keep it simple mm-hmm. and more like conscious decisions around what people are purchasing. But more than products, 
I think I, I just want to have more conversations and yeah. that's what I'm excited about. We're trying to pull out our issues platform to stand on its own so that people who maybe aren't interested in our makeup can still participate with a brand. Amazing. That really excites me um, and I don't see any other brand doing that. So no. there's so much potential there. It's a whole other world. Um, and I, I think it would be cool. Like if we're not just makeup, what else could we be? What other industries do we go into? And that's something that we'll lean to our audience to help us decide. That was Erica Gerrards, founder of Fluff, which you can find on Instagram at itsall.fluff and online at itsallfluff.com. To read my interview with Erica, you can visit glowjournal.com. And for more beauty news, you can find me on Instagram at gemkwatts or at glow.journal. If you liked this episode, please do not forget to subscribe, rate, review and share on socials so other beauty lovers can find us and join the Glow Journal family. I'm Gemma Watts. You've been listening to the Glow Journal podcast and thank you for joining me. Oh,